the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. This episode of the College Planning Edge was originally broadcast as an episode of College Talk Tuesday, our show on Facebook each week, Tuesday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. This episode aired September 8th, 2020, where I talked about some financial aid mistakes that I know families are going to commit in less than a month. So if you listen to this episode, you will avoid those mistakes. And I also shared some preliminary thoughts on a new book that is coming out by one of my favorite authors on college stuff named Jeff Salingo. And I haven't read the book yet because it hasn't been released. But uh, I've read the excerpts and uh, I kind of know what's going on. So I talked about some of the new admissions facts and, and information that is coming out. So... Please enjoy this episode, and if you want to catch our weekly show on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Lockwood College Prep. Thanks. Good morning. Welcome to College Talk Tuesday. Andy Lockwood here, not joined by celebrity FAFSA warrior guest host Pearl Lockwood, because she is off on special assignment. Uh, Today, we are recovering from a uh, quick trip up to Maine. Uh, we spent a couple days there, and we got back late last night and had a lot of fun. Uh, but we're back and paying the price with uh, emails and Pearl's gearing up for financial aid season. And uh, so she felt like between that and the laundry, um, better to abstain today. So I'm here, and uh, welcome. If you are drinking a, an adult beverage, please join me. It's not an adult beverage. It's a it's a it's coffee. Um, please join me in a simultaneous sip. And that, courtesy of our new French press that we picked up in Maine, in Portland. So, uh, all right. Good morning to, I see some people coming on. Good morning to Paul. Good morning to Michelle. Good morning to Chuck. Good to see you. So, uh, I thought I would cover a couple of quick tips today. I want to talk about three financial aid mistakes, and then I want to get into some new college admissions uh, information that um, it's not going to seem that new, I think, to uh, many of you. It certainly wasn't new to me, but um, there's a book coming out by an author that I follow who I think is great named Jeff Salingo, and it's called, um, what the hell is it called? That would really help if I had that prepared. Um, it's called something like Who Gets In and Why in, Inside a, a Year in College Admissions, and I, and I think he spent... Um, time inside three different colleges one was emory uh, another one i think was university of washington and i can't remember the third one but um i haven't read the book yet because it has it's on pre-release i think it comes out next week but i've read uh, a few of the reviews and some of his comments and been paying attention so i want to share some thoughts on that um with, with you guys so this is an opportunity though for you if anyone has any questions and all right so i see all right, so Paul and Chuck said good morning to you, and Michelle again, and Arete, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm pronouncing it like the ancient Greek word for excellence, because I remember that, because I had a teacher in high school who used to say that all the time. 
good morning to Christine. All right, good. So, so welcome and please feel free to lob in your questions if, if you have any here. Um, this is going to be a, a quick show, but I'll stay on for, you know, as long as you have any questions and then um, I'll get off at uh, 1030 Eastern. Um, but if you have any questions in uh, on the, if you're watching this on recording, then in Memrex, then go ahead and leave them right here too. And, and I will get to them um, the next day or so. All right. So financial aid season is upon us. Um, you may not be thinking that way. You may be thinking about getting your kid's butt back in school or partial school or virtual school or hybrid virtual uh, high school. But um, in terms of the process of applying for financial aid in college, uh, for college, for seniors, 2021 kids, this is really sort of the, uh, we're, we're gearing up into the actual season. So maybe we're more in the preseason right now, but it doesn't feel like that uh, around here. So I want to talk about some, um, some, some errors that people make all the time. And of course, um, these, are, these are warnings so that you don't make these errors. Uh, you can avoid them. So uh, one of the first mistakes that we see all the time, and if you've heard these um, before, uh, you know, I'm, I was going to apologize, but they're so common that I think the repetition will, uh, will help remind you, avoid these, even if you've heard these before. So the first one is a lot of people just have no idea what financial aid forms are required because the reason for that is each college has its own separate requirements. Every college in the country requires the FAFSA, which is the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, FAFSA. Some people ref, uh, refer to it as FAFSA, and um, they're just dumb. It's not called that. Don't be dumb. It's FAFSA. Free, free, get your acronyms right. Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Every college requires it. Um, that's one form. And that's relatively straightforward on its face. However, there are hidden lurking dangers, um, the rules are kind of wacky. When you look up, you know, if there's a question um, to list your investments or the net worth of your investments, you have to make sure to click on the, um, the description of what's included in, in that term investments, because there's a lot of stuff that's not included. That's also part of that description. So that's a, that's a mistake that people make also is not, not only failing to understand what forms they need to file, but also making mistakes in terms of what goes in the forms, but also what does not go in the forms. So that's really three mistakes right there. Anyway, every college requires the FAFSA. Uh, roughly 400 schools require an additional form, which is much more complicated and not straightforward on its face, called the CSS profile. It's mostly private colleges that have their own money, have their own institutional funds, but um, not, not exclusively, because there are some state universities, such as University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Uh, University of Virginia is another school that takes the CSS profile. That's a state university. And so is University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. They take the CSS profile also. So you have to look up what each, what each college requires. Some schools have their uh, unique, special, unique, <laughs> I said that twice, so it's, that makes it double unique. Um, institutional forms, I think Princeton has its own uh, special financial aid form in addition to the FAFSA. So it really matters um, what, what schools you're applying to in terms of figuring out which forms you have to file. Okay, so that's mistake number one, not knowing which file, uh, which forms go in. Second one is deadlines. <clears throat> Every year, 
we, we hear this all the time. People lose sight of when they have to file stuff. So the reason for that, I think, is because in the regular uh, admissions process, you know, set, submitting your application, your common application or whatever else, there are um, all kinds of deadlines that people focus on um, and get confused by. And that's a distraction because they then sort of blow off the financial aid priority deadline. So here's what I mean. If you're applying to a college early action or early decision or restricted early action or regular decision or early decision two, your deadlines might be October 15th, November 1st, November 7th, November 15th, et cetera, et cetera. It really varies from college to college what those deadlines are for your admissions applications. Now turning to the financial aid priority, priority deadlines, those sometimes coincide, but frequently they're separate. So you've got to look up not only the admissions deadlines for the applications, but also the financial aid priority deadlines. And you have to have, you know, I, I would keep it all in one sheet um, so, so you don't miss any deadlines. Sometimes they're a little hard to find. The, the, the priority financial aid deadlines are a little bit hard to find on each college's website. They require a lot of clicking around. And you would think that, okay, well, if the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill's admissions deadline for early action or a decision, I can't remember, is uh, October 15th, then it looks like, I guess, I should, I should also put in my FAFSA then my, and my CSS profile then. But if you were to look up the deadlines for, for, for financial aid university of North Carolina, you would discover that they are much later, which is fine, than the uh, admissions deadlines. I'm not gonna tell you what the deadline is because I don't want any, I don't wanna be, I'm not sure I'm right about them, but you have to, you have to look it up yourself and figure it out. We, we, I have a separate document where we keep track of all this stuff for our clients, but um, you, have to, you have to be aware of all this just, just so you don't miss out on anything. So um, that's a big deal. Because if you submit your financial aid forms a day after the deadline, let's say you have a, a priority deadline of November 15th. If you submit your forms on the 16th, at least up until this year, colleges would be pretty strict and say, look, you're going to get some aid, but you're not going to get as much as you would have had you met the priority deadline. I think this year it's going to be, it's going to be harder to get money because uh, college budgets are shrinking because of all the pressures that they're under. So I think the, the overall pie, so the size of the pie is going to be smaller. However, on the flip side, I suspect that it's going to be easier to negotiate with client, uh, with colleges more so than ever, because there's, there's bargains to be had and they're much more competitive than they were um, because of a self-imposed thing that had nothing to do with coronavirus but it had to do with the Department of Justice investigation into the colleges last year that was resolved with most of the colleges that you've heard of um, agreeing to um, not collude or not, uh, not compete with each other because they were under investigation for antitrust stuff. So that all happened before coronavirus, then coronavirus happened, and last year was a huge year for negotiating. I think this year coming up for 2021 kids is going to be even better. So, so, so the two mistakes we've covered so far, the two main mistakes we've covered so far, number one, missing your, your uh, not knowing what financial aid forms or applications must be filed 
it's always the FAFSA and it could be the CSS profile or it could be an additional form or another financial aid form depending on what schools you're applying to. You've got to look that up yourself. The second mistake is the deadlines blowing your priority financial aid deadlines. And the third mistake that I want to talk about is kind of related to a tangent I went off on earlier, which is not understanding the rules, meaning the loopholes, the legal loopholes that you might be able to avail yourself of to improve your eligibility and get more money. So what that has to do with just a circle back is the directions that are uh, that, that pertain to your investments. So if you're filling out your own FAFSA, um, and many people do this, of course, that's a service that we provide for our clients, we meaning Pearl, Peloton Pearl, who does the real work uh, in, in the firm here. Um, the, the question is, you know, what is the net, uh, the net worth or your, I can't remember the exact question, but what's, what's, what are your investments worth? And then it says in the directions, here's what's included. And it's usually, you know, um, uh, stuff in the bank, like checking savings accounts, CDs, cash is included. Yes. Cash, um, you know, mutual funds, you know, investments, that type of stuff. And then. It also says, do not include the following. And there are four types of assets that are exempt. And when I say exempt, I want you to think about two things. One is that if you mistakenly include them in your net worth, then you're shooting yourself in the foot because it shouldn't be included. So if you put down, for example, your retirement account value on the FAFSA, I'm not talking about any other forms right now. I'm just talking about the, the FAFSA. Um, you put that down then you will reduce your eligibility. You will lose money. I had a client years ago, very sophisticated guy. He used to be CEO of a publicly traded financial services company. And he had a couple of kids in, in school, in college. And one of them was going to Ithaca. And I think he cost himself uh, about $13,000 because he included his IRA or his 401. I think it was a rollover IRA in that section asking about your investments. Because I, I reviewed his form, his uh, financial aid applications for him after the fact when he didn't get any money, he thought he was going to. So even so, it's not an intelligence thing. You know, some very sophisticated, smart people make these mistakes. And um, so my point is, you have to look through the uh, the directions very carefully, and you'll see that there are four types of um, accounts that should not be included in the uh, in the financial aid formulas. So the flip side is those could be uh, strategic places to shelter, not hide, hide is kind of a sleazy word, but to uh, shelter your funds. So if you have money saved in your child's name, which is probably the worst place for financial aid to, uh, to save money, and then you take that money out and you deposit it in one of the four exempt classes of assets, then you will improve your eligibility. And it's all totally legal and ethical. Sometimes people say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound fair to me. And my point is it's not supposed to be fair or not as far as, I, I mean, I don't care if it's fair or not. Don't use me as your litmus test uh, about ethics, but I don't know if it's fair or not, but it is legal. And to me, it's the exact same thing that a lot of um, people our age with elderly parents do to get them qualified for, uh, for Medicaid by moving assets out of their names. Um, attorneys use trusts and other things that we don't use as uh, financial aid consultants 
but it's the same concept of taking money from a place that penalizes you and moving it to a place that is exempt. So you can do the same type of thing in the financial aid formulas. Um, my last comment here is that this does not work for everybody. So I'm not saying everyone should move money around like crazy. I think best guess, it may work two to three times out of 10, you know, when, when we see clients who have these types of opportunities, but when it works, it can work really well. So, uh, so you need to understand the rules and all that. Okay. Um, I see a bunch of comments coming in. So if you have stuff you want to ask me, this is a great opportunity to do so. Hello to Mr. Rothstein and Ms. Davidson and Ms. Couch and to, uh, oh, from Albuquerque, from Rio. I'm sorry. Albuquerque from Rio and, uh, and Bobby. All right, good. Good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us. So if you have any questions, lob them in here. Um, please share this. Please like. You know, comments are great, but please like and help help us uh, expand our reach. Um, all right, so let me talk to you a little bit about um, admission stuff. So it's, this is almost like a book review for a book I haven't read yet because um, it hasn't been released. But there's a book by Jeff Selingo, S-E-L-I-N-G-O. It's coming out, and it's called, I already forgot again, something about what it really takes to get in um, a year inside the college admissions office, something like that. You know, let me just look this up right real quick. I had it I had it on my screen before. Um, hold on a second. If any of you guys know, post it here. Um, who gets in and why a year inside college admissions? Okay. So I had that on pre-order. I think it's released on the 15th, I want to say. And... Um, uh, he's, he's written some other great books too. So I really recommend virtually anything he's, he's read, uh, he's written uh, for you to read. But the gist of this book is, and it's not, it's not really new ground because there's been other books. I think there's a book called The Choice by a guy named Ralph Figueroa. No, that was one of the admissions officers. It was, um, that was profiled. Um, but that's another great book. It's called, it's called The Choice. And it was written by Jacques Steinberg. Um, where he spent a year or close to a year inside the admissions office at Wesleyan University, where I happened to uh, graduate from. Um, so, so Jeff Salingo did the same with three colleges. One was Emory. I think the other was University of Washington. And the third one, I can't remember. So what's really interesting to me about um, this type of reporting is how hyper-aware these admissions officers are of stuff that most parents and kids and guidance counselors in particular are blissfully unaware of in terms of what it really takes to get in to college. Because I think most people just assume, well, if I have good grades and I do well in my SAT or ACTs, you know, in normal years, um, then I'm going to have a good shot at getting in. But, you know, some of the stuff I've been saying for years is backed up by uh, what, I, what I believe to be in this book in the, the portions that I've read already, which is that colleges have their own agendas. And if you look at uh, a little bit of common sense, you know, just from anecdotal experience about kids with lower grades and scores who might be legacies, who might be athletes, who might be underrepresented minorities, I'm not saying that to be racist, I'm just saying that to be factual. So uh, spare, spare me the hate email. Um, international students, you know, these are all sort of favored classes and um, one of the things that Selengo 
points out is that colleges spend 10 billion with a B dollars a year in recruiting, um, meaning all the direct marketing, the the mailers with the glossy brochures with all the smiling kids of all races and ethnicities, all frolicking outside on the you know outside in the quad. You know, we drove by. Um, uh, we, uh, we were in Maine, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, the, the broadcast today. And um, last night had a um, nice little evening. I don't, know if, I don't know if you're watching, but with our uh, friend, Charlie Malkin, AKA Charlie Mull, um, from uh, who I grew up with in the Boston area. And he lives in Providence. So he lives right near Brown. So we drove by Brown. All, you know, a lot of kids were outside in the quad you know, uh, reading or chatting i think we saw a hacky sack uh thing going on um and uh these brochures all no matter where the school is from so the school could be in like you know buffalo or northern minnesota or something and they're still showing kids outside <laughs> you know no one has acne which is nice on these brochures they all kind of look the same to me so that is a 10 billion dollar a year um, business just the marketing aspect of it the, the direct mail cost the email marketing the tracking kids like how frequently or uh, whether they open the emails how quickly they open the emails that these colleges send um, how much time they spend on the websites all that stuff is tracked and it's done um, from these colleges who are making this direct outreach to the types of kids that they want to recruit, which are generally uh, full paying or um, upper middle class, you know, six figure and uh, earner, earners and up um, families that can either pay in full or they can get their hands on the money by borrowing to pay in full. It doesn't matter to the colleges how they get paid. They just want to get paid. So um, that's who gets an overwhelming edge in getting into college it's not a pure meritocracy at all. And the best estimate that um, I ever heard was from a business partner slash uh, more of a mentor, anything of mine, um, who created uh, a software that we use for our, our private clients, which is sort of like Naviance, if you're familiar with that, but on steroids. And uh, his name is Don Betterton. He was on the admissions committee of Princeton for 30 years. And his best guess to me was that um, getting in is roughly 60% academic, which means your your GPA, but it also means your rigor, you know, how many AP classes, not tests necessarily, but how many AP classes you've taken, and then scores, you know, which which is a whole nother um, topic, the SAT and the ACT. Uh, we're actually going to be doing um, an open uh, session on Thursday night. I have to post that. If you're, if you're on my email list, you'll get a notice about that later today. Um, Thursday night, I think at 9.15. I'm going to be interviewing Marissa about the latest SAT and ACT changes. Should you even bother taking the tests? Um, what does test optional really mean? How does that affect merit scholarships? So that's that's coming up in two days. But anyway, um, if you, if you know, if you read books like the one that's coming out from Jeff Salingo and like um, other reporting that he's done, and as uh, not, I think he's had pieces published in the Wall Street Journal, possibly definitely inside higher ed. But what it all comes down to is these colleges give an edge to the favored classes that they decide are, are favored. And that's what the latest lawsuit um, against Harvard was about. That was brought on the behalf, I believe, of an Asian American student who had perfect scores, who didn't get in anywhere. 
and a recent Department of Justice investigation into Yale University's admissions practices over the past 18 years, where they concluded, not me, not Andy, concluded that, um, that if you are Asian American or Jewish, uh, it's harder to get in if you look at those sets of, of applicants' academic credentials versus others. You can call it discrimination, you can call that equalizing, you know, whatever. Um, I kind of have mixed feelings about it, not that that matters, but it just is. It doesn't matter what anyone's feelings are, that's just the way it is. So the sooner you learn that, the better, because otherwise you're going to be blindsided by not getting into schools you thought were you know, target uh, colleges to get into. Every year that happens. You know, we call it admissions Armageddon. When, um, when uh, kids don't get into most of the schools they apply to because you know there's nothing wrong with taking a shot at getting into you know a super high uh, competitive school because those magical things can happen but you can't put you know you can't make 80 percent of your college list those types of schools i think that's ridiculous so when i'm you know right now i'm spending a lot of time um firming up our kids college lists and if they're applying to 12 or you know maybe this year uh 15 you know, colleges, you know, I think if you have more than four or five of these, you know, super high, uh, high, highly aspirational, uber competitive colleges to apply to, I think it's a, it's a problem, you know, so if you have five out of 15, that's fine. But if you have more than that, it's, you know, you're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment. I think you need to have most of your schools 50, 50 or better um, to get, to get into. That's one of the things we use our, our software for. So, that I mentioned before from the, from the Princeton guy, Don, Mr. Don Betterton. So uh, I think that's a big mistake that people make is they don't realize that it's not a, a meritocracy getting in. And I'm really looking forward to reading this book, although I don't think it's going to have any shocking new revelations, but I think the extent at which colleges rely on this class of consultants called enrollment management consultants to figure out who to admit, how much merit aid to offer, you know, should we offer, you know, uh, our model shows that if we offer $12,000, then we have like a 32% chance of, of them um, coming here. But if we, you know, this is the admissions people, but if we offer, um, you know, uh, $17,000, then that, that, that percentage of, of, uh, of likelihood of them enrolling, you know, spikes up to 65%. They, you know, they keep stats like this to, to track this, this golden ratio, which is, which they call the yield which is the percentage of kids who are, are admitted compared to those who actually say, yes, we will come. And that number has dropped precipitously. It's not that big a deal to you or me as a, you know, just as a, a lay person, but to colleges, they really care about that because the higher the yield, you know, like a great yield for an Ivy league, super competitive school, I think is 50% or 48% or something. And most of the other schools, you know, from the um, next level on down, they're lucky to get 35, 30, 25% of the people they admit to show up. Um, that's not great for their financial health. Um, it's not great for, you know, when they go to borrow, which I think a lot of schools are, um, are really looking at to shore up their budgetary issues this year. Uh, that's almost like a credit rating, the, the yield. So that's why it's really more important than ever to show interest to colleges you, you know, in normal years, you could do that by visiting and taking tours and signing in. Now it's very hard to do that. So a lot of people are doing virtual tours. Uh, I've heard about a lot of kids following 
um, these colleges on social media like Instagram and Twitter, interacting with admissions people on those two um, media. Um, I haven't heard too much about um, TikTok. Uh, I've advised a lot of my clients, especially the business kids, pe you know, people think about majoring in business to, um, to create LinkedIn profiles. Um, you know, I mentioned before opening emails, uh, clicking through on the websites, all that stuff is tracked because it affects the college's yield. So if you know that it's going to help your chances of, of getting it. So, okay, let me go to the questions and the comments here. Um, all right, Christina Albano, I'll recall the C and if you have any questions or comments, I got another three minutes before we sign off here. So fire away. I, uh, CSS profile asking about how much do you pay for monthly mortgage? Right. Yeah, that is right. They do ask about your, your monthly mortgage. So if one sells their house and any money received is not used to buy another house, does that money need to be disclosed as income, even if sold at a loss? So when you sell your house and you net out some proceeds, the question of whether it's income is really an accounting question, meaning um, does that, is that going to show up on your tax returns as income? In your situation here, if you sold at a loss, that doesn't mean it's income or not income. What matters is um, how your accountant treats it, right? So if you bought it for a higher price and you sold it for a lower price, it can't be considered income as far as I'm concerned as a non-accountant. So I think you're okay there, but the money sitting in the bank, that might need to be sheltered right? If, if it's a significant amount. All right. Um, Vanessa Ignacio, good morning. If you're confident your income would preclude financial aid, uh, meaning you wouldn't qualify for financial aid, is it still necessary to complete the FAFSA to unlock possible merit aid? The short answer to that is at some schools, yes. It's a school by school thing. Um, the examples that we always give off the top of our heads is, uh, includes NYU, New York University, uh, I believe Fordham also requires the um, the, the FAFSA and in those schools' cases, also the CSS profile. So um, you have to look it up. The other the other reason, though, to consider filing, even if you're really sure you're not. By the way, a lot of people think they're not going to qualify, and um, they're wrong. But assuming that you have it right here, the other reason to to complete the forms and submit them is to demonstrate financial strength. Colleges, I mentioned this before, um, colleges need to um, have full paying uh, prospect, prospective families say yes to them or families that can get their hands on the money by borrowing. So showing the FAFSA and the CSS profile to them will demonstrate financial strength. I don't think I would check off the box on the Common App if you have one of these colleges that's asking about whether you're, fi you're filing for financial aid or not. I would say no, but I would still complete the forms, just to be clear. Um, okay, Sid Rothney, any update on, update on the September SATs? Um, they're still on as far as I know. Uh, all right, Clau Albuquerque from Rio. Should I include a debt to the Brazilian IRS that I'm paying in installment agreements in the CSS profile debt slot? Um, I believe, I mean, that's a, that's a pearl question. She's not here, but I definitely would because that bears on your ability to pay for college. So that is important either there or, um, I, you know, I don't know if they ask that specifically. Um, I think they only ask about mortgage debt on the CSS profile, but I haven't seen this year's forms yet, but that should definitely be disclosed. Anything that has 
even if it's not in the boxes of the financial aid forms, anything that bears on your ability to pay for college, that might be more of an explanation thing. That's a little bit more involved. It's almost like an attorney writing a brief, you know, and submitting it to a court. So I write, you know, for our clients, I write um, a lot of those. Uh, last year, I wrote more than 100 appeal letters like that. Um, the gatekeepers, Michelle Baum, yeah, uh, Jock, Jock Steinberg, who used to be the education writer for the New York Times years ago. Um, Charlie Mull. That's, that's uh, who we hung out with last night in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, all right. <laughs> Consider that your shout out, Charlie. Um, Christina Albano says, I had a conversation with the admissions office at USF, uh, Southern Florida, who indicated that there are at least four main schools in Florida that are not test optional. Ironic considering how bad the virus was down there. Um, yeah. You know, but there's going to be more opportunities to take the exams. If you have a senior, rising senior, um, you're competing with kids who have taken them. That's that's the issue. So, um, yeah, it is it is annoying. But um, the, the the reason for the test for colleges relying on the test is that they are fairly good indicators of how well a kid is going to do in college, even though they're not perfect. Nothing's a perfect indicator, but those those are pretty good. So I don't see them going away personally the way a lot of people have predicted. Um, all right, Vanessa says, thank you for that. Shelly Dodd, um, how would you go about sheltering money? Just sold the house. So a lot of it in savings right now. So I can, I can give you the general answer, but the, uh, the specific answer, you know, of course, depends on each client that we're advising. So the, the general answer is, that, you know, there are four places um, in the financial aid formulas, actually really five places that are, you know, that are kind of listed in different parts um, in the directions that do not count against you. So the, you know, again, this is a high level because I don't want to, I can't give advice to, to a non-client, right? Um, not, not for business reasons, for liability reasons. So, so the, um, the short answer is if you have money sitting in one account, you can write a check and put it into a, and deposit it into one of these other types of places. Uh, so, you know, the, there, there's like I said, there's four, almost five different places. Uh, if you're a business owner, you have you have an additional spot, but um, it doesn't work for everyone. And um, it's you know uh, one particular type of deposit might be right for one family, and another might be right for another family. So, but it's really just as easy as writing a check. That's all. Um, oh, Kyle Albuquerque says thank you. The best. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, okay, Andrea Fusco, do you think 2021 will be a harder year in admissions with many taking gap years? You know, um, I, that's a good question. I get that question frequently. I don't really know how many people are taking gap years. I don't think it's that many. I remember, um, I, I, I have to find this uh, or update it, but um, a couple months ago, I read something in one of the industry you know, publications that I, I read a lot that um, indicated that this year compared to last year, the non-pandemic uh, most recent year and in previous years, the percentage of kids who were actually taking gap years or deferring a year was about the same. It was a little large. It was like you know 1, 1.8 instead of 1.3% or 2.8 instead of 2.3%. I, I can't remember. So um, I don't think some, I don't think a lot of, I mean, I know a lot of people are talking about it, right? But Colleges don't like that because they need to ring the cash register. So it's not so easy to defer or to to offer a gap year. I think it's some of the uh, more elite, you know, schools like Harvard and uh, a lot of the Ivies. It's more 
prevalent, but I think in most schools, it's not really as widespread. So I have to, um, I'm going to make a note to myself to look up the, um, the gap year or the deferring. So I don't think it's going to be a, a huge percentage. Um, therefore, I don't think that's really going to affect admissions um, that severely for, for 2021 kids, maybe a little bit, but um, I'm not so sure. And then there's the whole thing about international students. I, I imagine plenty of them are still going to apply this year. Um, but I'm not so sure about their ability to come to college a year from now. I, my gut feeling is that um, most of the stuff with coronavirus and quarantining and all that is going to have been um, dealt with one way, shape, or form in a year. And I think the, there will be um, plenty of international students coming and paying full price again. Um, this, this past year was a, was a big anomaly because a lot of those students couldn't come so colleges scrambled around to uh, release spots on their wait lists that were, I would think would be uh, formerly uh, designated for international students. And there's a lot of negotiating with uh, financial aid and merit aid offers too. So I don't, I'm not really looking for next year to be that much harder, but maybe slightly harder. And okay, so I'm going to, uh, here's my last question I'm going to answer before we sign off. Gail Madigan, can you please explain what it means when a college is blind need and what is that in comparison to? So the, um, the term is need blind. And um, what, that's, what, that's, what that means technically is that colleges don't care. The need blind colleges don't factor in whether you are applying for need-based aid for financial aid or you're not applying for need-based aid. Whereas colleges that are need aware um, will factor in whether you need money or not in as, as one of the typically 20 to 25 considerations or factors, what, uh, whether deciding, deciding whether to admit someone or not. So need blind colleges claim they don't consider that, whereas most colleges are need aware. I think some of the need blind schools are actually need aware. I don't really think that they're purely need blind. But the important thing is if you need money to go to a certain college, I mean, if you can't afford the $75,000 a year times four years, hopefully times however many kids you have, you really should apply for financial aid. I would not recommend gaming, trying to game the situation by not applying for aid um, and then getting in and then, oh, saying, oh yeah, I'm gonna, here, I meant to apply because colleges know um, what you're doing and it's, um, you know, it's no, it's no secret, you know, that uh, people think that you have a better ch chance of getting in if you don't need money. Um, that is true to some extent, but I don't think it's as significant as most people think, because again, it's only one of 25 factors. But when you read, you know, a lot of the uh, industry publications, you know, the way that I do, and I believe it's going to be covered in this, this book by Jeff Salingo, um, you'll, you'll note that there's some people who don't make the cut because they need money. So that does happen. It's just not as widespread, I, I, I think, as people think it is. But who, you know, who cares? If, you're the, if you have a, a child who doesn't get into a school because of, because of that, all it takes is that one example. Not, it doesn't matter if it's widespread or not. So I really have mixed feelings about the whole thing, um, about you know, you know, our, our daughter is, is, um, is going for an Ivy League school for early decision. And uh, I personally 
want us to do the financial aid forms. Um, you know, even though uh, without disclosing anything confidential, um, my wife was like, no, let's not apply for aid. And, and I said, well, you know, that's kind of dumb. Well, don't you, don't you want to get money, you know, uh, from there? And she's, and Pearl's like, no, I'd, ra I'd rather hang it in there. So we're going to argue about that, I'm sure, and then I'll lose. But that, that's, um, uh, that's typically the, the, the discussion within a family uh, is that, well, you know, are you really, it comes down to, are you really committed to sending your child to a certain college at all costs, you know, no matter what? Um, my feeling is that so many kids and parents choose colleges for emotional reasons. It's not really rational. Um, just because you go to an Ivy League school compared to a school that's going to give you money, it doesn't make that Ivy League school $20,000 a year times four better uh, just because you're paying more than the other schools. So um, I, I really have a problem with it because I think there's more similarities and differences um, the, among these schools. And the other thing is, you know, if you are going on to, um, to grad school, it doesn't really matter so much where you go undergrad. In fact, you can make the argument that you'll have a better shot at getting into a good grad school at the quote unquote easier undergrad college um, because the academic record that you'll provide will probably be stronger. You'll probably have a higher GPA at the easier undergrad school. That's just in a, in a vacuum. I'm just, you know, for sake of argument. Plus you'll spend less money on the first four years of college before you then, you know, have to pay full price pretty much for grad school, which is, you know, that's typically what people do um, or they borrow a lot. So that's sort of the, uh, the argument in, in a nutshell, but need blind means that colleges don't factor whether you need money or not. I think for the most part that's true, but I'm a little skeptical, but um, when you read books, you know, about this whole, uh, you know, how, how college admissions really works on the inside, like the, the, the Gatekeepers by Jacques Steinberg and the forthcoming book by Jeff Salingo, uh, what it really takes to get in. I, I, really, I really can't get the name right. Um, then uh, I think you'll see that, you know, how much, whether you need money or not really factors in, but I don't think it's a crazy amount, so. Those are my final final comments here. All right, if you have any questions, uh, I'm gonna hang up, I'm gonna stop the call now, but if you have any um, questions, just post them here and I will try to get to them in the next uh, day or so as we clean up from Labor Day weekend. I hope you guys had a restful and relaxing Labor Day weekend. And um, you know, thanks for watching us and being part of our community and thanks for liking and hearting and sharing and whatever emojis uh, you can throw in there. And um, we'll, we'll be back um, next week, Tuesday mornings, 10 a.m. for College Coffee Talk. And if you're on our email list on our, on our website, lockwoodcollegeprep.com, then um, you and you're interested about the, uh, the new changes and latest updates for the SAT and the ACT, that's a webinar we're doing on Thursday night, 9 p.m., 9.15 p.m. That's two days from now. All right. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge podcast. For more information about our Inner Circle Group Coaching Membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass, um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy, merit aid and need-based aid opportunities 
as well as some other benefits, check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at LockwoodInnerCircle.com and use the coupon code PODCAST for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.